Welcome to the Cosmic Business Podcast. I'm Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer, business coach, and CEO of Weave Your Bliss, a company with the goal to help a million spirit-led entrepreneurs build a cosmic business around their genius so that they can earn wildly well and bankroll the change they want to see in the world. A cosmic business is a new paradigm business that believes in collaboration over competition, building a business around your unique genius, aligning to the planets and your intuition, leading with your values, putting your health and the health of the planet first, treating people fairly and building giving into your business model. Sounds fabulous, right? On this show, I will take you behind the scenes of my thriving multi-six-figure business, including strategy on closing more sales, nurturing your community online, plus astrological insights to optimize your business and life. We'll also feature conversations with spirit-led business owners, creatives, and change makers to inspire you. I'm coming to you from our regenerative farm in rural Maine, my happy place, where we are currently creating space to welcome community for retreat and earth reconnection. Let's jump into the conversation. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. If visibility has been a struggle for you in your business, or if you just want to create a better strategy for being visible so that you don't burn out, then you won't want to miss this interview today with sustainable visibility mentor, Mayke Sang. Before we jump in, I want to make sure to share that the Cosmic Business Incubator, my eight-week high support accelerator for spirit-led entrepreneurs who want to create more income and impact by having a more streamlined approach to their business, is currently open for enrollment for the fall. June 22nd is the last day to get bonuses like joining me live for the Heal Your Money Karma course and a free Money Karma analysis with me, plus early access to the course materials and more. Go to the link in the show notes to learn more and book a call with me if you book that call by June 22nd. That's this week. That's Wednesday or Thursday, rather. then I will honor the bonuses. So definitely go and check that out. We are also still accepting applications for the Vibrancy Retreat in South India with me in November. This is a chance to get oiled, rejuvenate, and plan for a powerful 2024 with me using your birth chart to help you. So if you're interested in that, go to the info in the show notes. Make sure you put in an application. You can also book a call and we can chat about it. Meike Sang is the Sustainable Visibility Mentor, ICF Certified Trauma Conscious Leadership Coach, Podcast Guesting Strategist, and Public Speaker. She helps socially conscious leaders become sustainably visible so they can continue to make a deeper difference to those they serve all without compromising their own capacity, safety, and values in the process. In this conversation, we go deep into sustainable visibility, what it is, what it looks like in practice, and what you can think about now to weave it into your business. We also talk about podcast guesting as a strategy that lasts and builds relationships and being great in general for introverts and empaths. She also talks about leading with your values and some ideas for what that looks like. And we talk about creating a business centered in your purpose and aligned with your human design which is something we talk about in detail for her and and how that looks. And also creating a long-term profit as a result of leading with your values instead of just short-term gains. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and find inspiration in it. Hi, Meike. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Super excited to be here. I'm really excited to have you. You know, you were on the Cosmic Business Salon. So some people may be familiar with you in my audience, but I wanted to have you on to kind of do some broader strokes and understand, you know, how your business works. So maybe we can start with sustainable visibility as a concept. Yeah. What is it? And why do you think it's resonated with your people? So sustainable visibility is exactly how it sounds. It's really about showing up in a way that honors both yourself in terms of your capacity, your identities, lived experiences and values, as well as finding that sweet spot between, um, you know, showing up for your audience as well, who are ready to hear your story, your message and the work you do in the world. So why do you think that's resonated so much that you've actually built a brand around it? Oh, because (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of reasons and a lot of uh, pathways I can go here, but. I think it's important to note that it actually came about out of a true concern 
that the mainstream advice about visibility in the online business world is very much put yourself out there, just be consistent. And I'm not saying those things aren't true. I do think they're important. However, I do believe there is, there's a grave context that's missing that allows people to show up quote unquote consistently and to put themselves out there because there are those of us who actually cannot do a certain pace simply because they just don't have the capacity to. It's not because they don't want to. It's simply because they don't have the capacity to do that. I was curious about what else could be said about visibility. And I really found there was not many people or anyone I knew anyway that spoke about visibility in a way that actually honors you in the process. And so that's why I really wanted to flip that script. And the sustainable visibility movement was born in the summer of 2020 when I told a friend of mine that, you know, I'm just going to revolutionize what it means to be visible because I refused, (laughs) I refused to believe that the only way that you can succeed in, you know, being visible is simply through force. So, I mean, this is not just for, you know, introverts. It's not just for empaths. You know, it's for people who have concerns about safety. Yes. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, this is definitely a huge reason why, again, I spoke about visibility in a different way because I followed that advice to put yourself out there and just be consistent. And that meant to anyone at any cost. And there was a huge cost that I took on that I'm just never going to do again. And basically what happened is a mentor of mine told me to, like, again, like show up anywhere that you can basically get as many eyeballs on your work as possible. But because of the lack of selectivity and alignment of, you know, who I was in front of, I was actually in front of someone who actually um, took my work in such a way that activated them to reach out with less than appropriate um, nature of DMs. And it actually activated a trauma wound of mine and genuinely made me want to shut down everything, not just out of fear, because I do think it's important to take on feedback where it's solicited <laughs> and where they actually mean well, but they purely just was went out there to harm me. And because they knew what my story was. So it's, it's kind of like they weaponized my story against me and knew where the tender spots were. And they just like went straight in with that. And I thought, okay, this is why it's important to show up in spaces that align for you where people are ready and they are under, they understand your perspective where you are coming from. And so just basically quality over quantity, really. And so that's why I really talk about sustainable visibility in a way that does honor your safety because if you don't feel safe, you're going to retreat. You're naturally going to want to hide sometimes. And it's okay to rest, by the way. But when you feel like your rest is being prompted out of, you know, a lack of safety, then there is a real problem. And I don't think that there is enough conversations about this where people really acknowledge that because it's like, oh, you know, just, um, what's it like? Oh, you're playing it too safe. And in my head, I'm like, you're damn right. I'm playing it safe. <laughs> So, um, but I think there is a, people often equate being safe with being small. I refuse to believe that again. I think that safety is important in order to expand. Interesting. Can you unpack that a little bit? Because I think, you know, what's interesting is what you're doing is helping empower people to create safe space, create boundaries that are appropriate, understand what's possible with whatever you know, limitations, if you want to call them that they have around visibility, like how we can still be empowered as business owners, basically. So maybe unpack that a little more. Yeah. So honestly, when it comes to safety, I just naturally think about the fact that, um, so when I was in my training to become a trauma conscious leadership coach, when my, my teacher, my mentor, at the time, um, told me how the trauma brain works, it just made so much sense to me. So there are um, of course, I'm going to like break it down super simply. I'm not even going to use the names. I'm just going to say the, the front, the middle and the back. Okay. So, so the front of the brain is the region of logical reasoning. The middle of the brain is about emotional processing. And the back of the brain is, they call it your lizard brain. It's like your survival side, basically. And basically, when you feel under threat, when you feel unsafe, um, basically all of your resources go towards the back, which shuts down your ability to logically reason and to emotionally process things. And that's why when people are showing up from that place of survival, they naturally are limiting what they can do and what they can say 
because they're not actually in their optimum state. So when you do feel safe, you do have access to your emotional processing and your logical reasoning, which allows you to actually dig deeper into the topics that you really care about, to have your soapbox moments, to really share the things that you've been wanting to share, as opposed to kind of censoring yourself and just like fingers crossed that no one will catch on to certain details and ask you to go deeper into it. You can really show up in such a different way when you have access to all three areas versus just the survival part. So how do we create the safety. So I think a lot of people are going to be wondering, and I know this is a huge part of the work you do, but maybe you can give us a few like key tips that can be helpful to people that they can take into their work and kind of view visibility differently for themselves. Hmm. I think it's really important to know that safety, you know, this is extremely nuanced. So please do take everything I say with a pinch of salt. <laughs> so I think when it comes to safety, ask yourself, would I be willing to share this detail with just anybody? Or does it need to be a select few curated, trusted people? Because then that is going to help you understand how much details you share about either a story or a process or something that's meaningful to you that you do want to share in general. But it just kind of like comes out in layers with like how much depth and detail you can go into. So just like really thinking to yourself, would I be able to talk about this topic just, you know, pretty much just anywhere and have the resources to kind of handle if there's any backlash, if there's any backfiring or if there's any cancelling or anything like that, you know? So I think that will always be a good litmus test as to what you feel safe enough to share and what not to share. I know you've also talked about like on the Cosmic Business Salon, we talked about some techniques that you use. Like when you know you're going to be visible, I remember you giving the example of how long it takes to fly from one place to another. So maybe you can share that here too, because I think that's helpful. Oh yeah, definitely. So it's the three A's of capacity. And I think capacity, again, it it will kind of intertwine with your safety because the safer you feel, the more capacity you're likely to have for a certain task or a strategy. So I think that's a great point to start with. Um, It's a lot more um, just kind of a process, I guess. <laughs> so the first A is anticipation. The second one is action. And the third is aftermath. Now, when you think of flying on a plane, you don't just go from the ground and you shoot straight up. Right? <laughs> there is a runway before you lift off. And there's also a runway to kind of like guide the plane back down to the ground safely. And the reason why that's really important is because when people tend to focus on visibility, they only focus on the action part, which is the being in the air. The problem is if they don't allocate capacity and energy and resources to the before and after, they can really overshoot how much and how much they're able to do at a given time, a given season. And that can often lead to burnout. It's too much too soon. Just like if you're, if you're literally traveling, before you jump on a plane, you need your passport. You need to pack your bags. You, you know, you need to have possibly some visas in place. You need all of that before. So that's all of the preparation that you need to do. And that's what the anticipation part is all about. It's a preparation that you need to do in order to, you know, move forward with the visibility strategy. So for example, right now we're having a podcast interview, but we, you and I didn't just pick a date and jump on. No, no, no. There was prep before, you know, like I had to um, send my bio and you sent over some questions and all of that. Right. And so that's a part of the anticipation stage. So I'm aware of what you could be asking about, which will allow me to have more capacity on this actual conversation. And then the aftermath of this conversation is going to be promotional materials and like promoting here and there, you know, after the episode goes live, you know, there are things to do before and after. And if, again, if people don't take into account what they need to do there, they can bite off more than they can chew. And then that will no longer be a sustainable strategy for them to do because they haven't taken into account how much stuff they had to do beyond the strategy itself. Yeah, that's so helpful to kind of think about things in this perspective and really break them down. Because I think what does lead to burnout is, you know, stacking too many activities in a day, for example, or not having a way to like decompress. And I know that's something you talked about on the Cosmic Business Salon as well, that there was, you take a process after you do have a visibility session like we're doing right now, there's going to be a process for you to also decompress and like shift your energy. 
right? Am I right? Yes, 100%. Um, actually, even before jumping on, um, because even though you sent me some questions ahead of time, I'm unaware of the other questions that you'd ask because it's quite an organic conversation. So actually what I did before I jumped on today, it was actually quite new to my routine, but it's been incredibly grounding. So for my birthday, my sister gifted me with a Tibetan singing bowl. And so I just chimed it a couple of times and it's a, it was an immediate sense of grounding. So any kind of influx feelings that you have, you know, when you feel that floaty feeling when you're like in limbo, you're not quite grounded. Like to me, having something like that just really helps ground me. I do have other parts of my process, but it really depends on the kind of conversation it is. There are some times when I will dance out my nerves <laughs> if I need to. <laughs> um, other times, if I watch an inspirational video just to remind me why I'm here, what, what I'm here for, that, that sort of thing. But today, I chimed my um, I chimed my singing bowl and it was immediate sense of grounding. And after this conversation, because something that I do in the anticipation stage, I'm always asking about expectations afterwards. So that way I know to allocate capacity after this conversation. It's like, okay, so promotional stuff, like, you know, doing it on social, maybe sending out an email newsletter. I know that's a part of my responsibility um, being a guest on your podcast. So it's just making sure that all of those pieces, like all of those ducks are in a row that I haven't missed a duck, <laughs> basically. <laughs> like, you know, every, everyone's in a row. I'm mama duck, you know, I've got all of those duckies in a row. And I, I got three duckies for <laughs> the anticipation, three duckies for the um, action and three for the aftermath. And of course, those proportions can change depending on what it is. Cause I find personally that anticipation that actually takes to most duckies <laughs> most of the time. And that's because I'm naturally prone to anxiety is one of my layers and one of my perspectives that do change my lens of the world, which is why, um, that's why to me asking ahead of time about expectations of what's required of me is essential so that my anxiety doesn't take up the capacity I've allocated to really follow through. That's such good advice. As a fellow sufferer of anxiety, I'm going to use that. <laughs> um, so, you know, this is the Cosmic Business Podcast. The Cosmic Business concept is largely about how do we center our health and well-being and our life and our dreams first and then like build a business around those needs. And it feels like you've really done that. So I'm curious, like, if you have any advice for people who are building businesses like that, were you leading from your intuition? Was it like non-negotiable that you were building a business like this? Like, give us some thoughts on that. Mm, so I, I wish I had started <laughs> doing that straight away, but I did not. <laughs> I will see a lot of people can relate to this when you follow the advice of others because you see their version of success and because they're teaching it. If you do it too, it should work, right? <laughs> I believe what's missing from so many teachers out there is that they don't acknowledge their access to resources. They don't acknowledge their proximity to privilege and their lived experiences, their, how much they can leverage their network. If they don't mention those things, it can oversimplify a success blueprint. And when I started to see the holes in that, when I started seeing my own teachers not actually acknowledging those things, I'm like, granted, of course, this is, again, it's completely nuanced. And there are so many things outside of our control that do factor into our success. But even so, I think it is important to unveil what it is. So for example, on my website, this is fairly new. Um, so shout out to Dan B. Shin, who um, really helped me kind of bring this to the forefront. Um, she is a, a global inclusion specialist. So on my about page on my website, I do like to say, in big, bold letters, I'm a cisgendered, able-bodied, British-born citizen with English as my first language. I'm also a neurodivergent trauma survivor and a highly sensitive person of Asian descent on the LGBTQIAP plus spectrum. To me, by actually placing forward those um, those identities of mine, it does help people to understand why I'm able to do certain things. And that's why I never, that's why I'm never like, oh, do it like this. I will always invite them to question What's going to make sense for you? What is going to be resonant for you? What capacity do you have in the season? Like, does this align with your sense of safety? And so that's why I think it's really important for all of us, if we ever teach anything, um, to not simply project what's worked for us, but to break down why you think it's worked for you. So that way people can start thinking for themselves and access their own critical thinking 
what can they take that's resonant and what can they kind of leave behind because it doesn't actually relate to what they have access to. Before we jumped on, you were talking also about human design and how understanding your design helped you understand your business. Did that happen around the same time? Was that part of you just embracing? Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that and explain like what your type is and what yeah, that means? hundred percent. So I am a manifester. There are, I think in the grand scheme of like out of the percentages, um, we are the second rarest type with eight to 9%. Um, most of the world is made up of generators and um, manifesting generators and also projectors is like the third and then there's manifestors. I'm a projector. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I find I get along most seamlessly with fellow manifestors and projectors. So I'm not surprised <laughs> that we've connected the way we have. <laughs> now, I do want to say that I am not a human design expert. I'm the type that only learns about my own type to make sense of the world. <laughs> so I, I cannot give an overall spiel, but that's okay because you already have another guest who has. <laughs> yeah. If, if you want to know more, listen to Teo Montoya's... I don't remember what episode number it is, but... The interview I did with him, he breaks down the types, I think. So you can listen to that. Thank you, Tara. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I am a manifester and I don't go deep into like all of the gates and channels either, but it's just literally what the type is. <laughs> so um, being a manifester means that I'm a non-sacral being. And what that means is that I don't have constant access to my energy and my voice. And because of that, I cannot do the quote unquote, like show up every day or be consistent this way. That's literally not make sense for how I'm built because I simply don't have access to this. It's kind of like, if you think about, okay, and I don't know how historically accurate this is, but before we had running water, surely there would have been like water sources that would sometimes dry up before they would replenish, right? With rainwater or, or like natural water sources, right? I think of myself kind of like that lake that is like, you know, beautiful and luscious and beautifully crystal clear water, but you can't always access it because it's so rare, right? And so I might, it's kind of like that. Or like when you go to a cave, sometimes it's not accessible because of the high tides and you have to wait when it's low tide in order to access its beauty. It's kind of like that. So I'm kind of like that cave. You can't always access me. <laughs> But when, but when you can, I can show you a good time. So, <laughs> and because I've no, I've now known that it makes sense why, you know, I've taken so many courses in my, in my line of work. And, um, for any that required me to show up X amount of times a week or a day or a month, etc., I would just be like, <sighs> yeah. And then it would make me feel bad because, uh, cause no one would acknowledge. Um, no one probably knew at the time or like, no one was vocal enough at the time that why it may not work for everybody. Um, so me being a manifester and, and acknowledging that my energy source is not always accessible. That's why I have to be very, very strong with my boundaries, not to keep people out, but it's to let them know when I have the capacity to be the most present with them to do the best work. And so that is why I do something called cup of ketchups, for example. And it's a way that I consistently connect with my community, but it's on my turf. Like I don't do it by breaching my boundaries and overbooking my calendar. I make it clear, like, look, there are only three slots a month. These are totally free. It's not a pick my brain session. It's not a coaching session. It's a literal get to know you. Let's connect and chat about anything kind of chat. And they've learned to really honor that boundary. And they're so respectful around it. And I think what a key litmus test that's really helpful for er anybody who's listening right now, manifestor or not, uh, my litmus test is would moving forward with this inset strategy, inset task thing, would this compromise my care and delivery by doing this right now? Because I find when, because, you know, I'm tempted every now and then to force myself to stick true to something because I'm not someone who likes to back down on things I've agreed to. And so in order to kind of reduce that possibility of um, backing out of things, that's why I have to be so mindful of my capacity calculation ahead of time. So that way I'm only saying yes to opportunities I know I can deliver on when, I, when I'm not entirely sure of how much energy I'd have at the time. So I'm just like, I'm always diversifying how I can collaborate with people, whether it's live or pre-recorded, which takes the most capacity at which times. What is the topic and subject matter? Um, how close of a connection do I have? Because all of that influences how much it impacts my anticipation, action, and aftermath. 
There's so many places I could go here, but as, <laughs> as another being who doesn't have access to my energy constantly, like the projectors are similar. They're, they work as guides. And so they have an ability to see very clearly sometimes like what, what's going on with other people and really help them move through the world in a powerful way. And as I understand it, manifestors are really good at like casting a vision that other people get excited and follow, which we're, you know, that's how it's feeling too. In this, this conversation, you know, it's like you've really started a movement, but as a person who doesn't always have access to my energy, I'm curious how you think about the strategies that you use. Like when I see your cup of ketchups email go out, like I totally understand you have boundaries and everything, but is it intuitive? Like when you open up those spaces, are you working on like when your cycle is or when the moon is in certain places? Like, are you using any tools like that to kind of help you gauge? Oh, I love that you mentioned this because I am a cyclical content creator. I am a cyclical leader, right? Meaning that the only thing that is consistent about me is that when, when, whenever that is, when I do show up, my presence is consistent, not the frequency in which I show up like X amount of times, right? So it's very qualitative as opposed to quantitative in terms of my consistency. So yes, I do actually. When it comes to my cup of ketchups, which, you know, for anyone who doesn't know what it is, again, once a month, I set aside one hour and I split it in between three 20 minute calls. And I send it out at complete random only to my email list. And I break it down. Who's it for? What is it for? And like, why, (laughs) why would people want to do it? And I've been doing this for three and a half years now. I literally just released a workshop, like like, that's just $9, like just a $9 workshop. And that was actually a um, creative urge from my manifesto self. It's like, I just got an idea and I actioned it because the, the beauty of being a manifester is that you can ideate and create on your own. You don't need to wait for anybody. You don't need, um, it's not that you don't need help. The help normally comes with the, the maintaining of the, the thing that you created. You need help to maintain the thing. But for a manifesto, you can kind of like get going with a minimum viable version, <laughs> like pretty much um, as soon as possible. But anyhow, but yeah, so the cup of catch-ups, one hour, split between three is completely free and I send it out complete random. And the randomness is in sync with my manifesto energy cycle because we're meant to quote, we're quote, meant to rest 80% of the time and create 20% of the time. And when you mm. live in a capitalistic world, that's like, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So you see the struggle, right? Um, but I do also um, sync it up with the moon cycle as well as my personal menstrual cycle. Because actually at the time of this recording, the last month when I had my, when I was at the peak of my menstrual cycle, I actually had a health scare when I literally, my partner was there and literally thought that I was dying because, because I was, I really scared her with, um, how pale I was. I was profusely sweating and all of those things and that. And, um, it turns out that I'm very prone to developing iron deficiency anemia. There's no way that I would be able to do anything for anyone else during that time. So me taking a note of when my menstrual cycle starts is essential because I don't want to let anyone down, but I also won't compromise my health in the process. And so that's why having that awareness and mindfulness of when you're at your peak energy and when you're, you are in need of rest is really important. And I also know around the time of a full moon, I'm very unlikely to do any strategic work because a full moon does gravely affect me. And I appreciate that, but I also need to acknowledge that during a time of a full moon where a lot of us can have a lot of emotions rising to the surface, I'm a highly sensitive person. So you can imagine that having a very emotionally charged time, not just for myself, but people around me who may not be aware of their emotional charges, I feel it all amplified. And that takes up a lot of capacity because I'm a natural listener and um, I just take everything in. So by being mindful of my menstrual cycle, of the moon cycle and my manifesto cycle, I had to like piece things around like with my visibility and just really show up in different ways. Sometimes when you don't require my face, when you don't require my voice, but I can show up in messages, for example, right? So I'm always mindful of those cycles when they happen and diversifying my visibility. So I'm not always doing a really high capacity thing like showing up on video, but I find pre-recorded video to actually take the most capacity for me, actually. <laughs> but live stuff like this, not so much, because I think there is a natural ebb and flow that happens. But in pre-recorded things, 
I find it's very easy for me to overthink. And then my anxiety just kind of like <laughs> ramps up. So I'm just like, I'm mindful of all of those things. And so for anyone who's listening right now, I invite you to consider like, what are the things that come easily for you and which things you know are impactful for your business, but can take a lot of capacity from you. Like start laying out um, how you feel about doing certain types of visibility. And then you can kind of mix and match the best you can to like do different things at different times during your cycles, regardless of which ones you're um, honoring. And then start working from there, because then you may find that you feel less of that force to push through every time mm-hmm. something is on your calendar. So I didn't really prep you for this question, so you don't have to answer if you don't want to. But I'm so curious if this shift in really living your design and you know moving your business to focus on sustainable visibility, if that's helped your bottom line, like have you had success and more success than you did before by doing this? I will have to be honest with you and say that it's slowed things down, but in a way that I know is actually good. So I had a very, um, so I used to offer done for you pitch services, um, back when I used to pitch podcasts for my clients and I now know from my design type, I'm not meant to maintain. I'm meant to create. (laughs) I'm meant to create a system and I'm meant to have help to sustain something. But to be honest with you, um, it didn't like, yes, it was a a very profitable offer, but it didn't kind of um, put me into my zone of genius. And so I did make a decision to shut that down back in 2020. And I brought back a different version of that work that doesn't require the done for you stuff, but is actually more of the strategy side of telling a safer and succinct story, developing your, your suite of leadership topics. And actually I do write the pitches that are ready to send, but I don't do anything beyond that. It's now my VIP spotlight week. <laughs> and so I feel like I've taken, I brought back offers from the past that have been historically profitable. But now I've added my manifesto lens on how I can deliver it without burning out because I burn out a lot when I offered that previously profitable offer. But it wasn't to me a greater cost was to my mental and physical health. And to me, like that is too expensive. Like I cannot compromise that any further now. And so that's why I have had to move things around. But I found like slowly but surely as I've expanded my offer suite, I'm really planting some sustainable seeds in the soil and I know that it's going to flourish like much more. And I feel like my reach has expanded a lot as well because it's through collaboration and not the need for me to individually reach every single person. And I think that's something important for everybody to consider as well, that your visibility doesn't just have to be you directly to the person you're trying to reach. It can absolutely be horizontal. And what I mean by that is like through collaborations. And so while my bottom line has shifted a lot since I stopped offering that very profitable, but very costly offering a couple of years ago, I I do feel myself on an upward trajectory. And I'm sure your business is still really successful because you do have a group program, you have other things, you know, so people who are listening, they may be hearing this and going, but what does that mean? Like, numbers wise, like the numbers are still good. You're still feeling good about your business. Yeah. And I think it's really important to share that I am in a position of privilege in in the sense that when it comes to my home situation, like I don't have to worry about reaching quite a, um, a lot in my business in order to know that I'm safe with, you know, actually having a roof over my head. So just like how I said earlier, it's important to acknowledge your proximity to privilege in certain areas. So for anybody who's listening right now, you're like, oh, okay, uh, Megan made these changes for her business, but her bottom line isn't, hasn't quite caught up yet to where it was before. I'm like, yeah, that is true. And I acknowledge that my privilege has allowed me to be in the spot. So that's why for each and every person who's listening, I do invite you to consider where you're at and how much I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it risk, but how much capacity do you have to explore the options for you? Because it can, it's easy for me to say, like, yeah, just do this, just do that. But all of these changes did not happen overnight. They happened over years of experimentation. And I'm only giving you an option of what you can do, but it's totally up to you how much you are going to shift at a given time. Cause you might want to do it in bits and pieces. You may want to do a big thing or like, you know, or significant pockets like every couple months, like every six months or every quarter or something like that. And I think it's really important to share that out loud. (laughs) 
Yeah. And also to acknowledge that cost, you know, like maybe you were making bank doing this previous offer, but there was a cost and that cost is not sustainable. And what you've created now, I'm imagining is a lot more exciting for you to deliver. (laughs) Yeah. 100%. Cool. So I'm curious, you know, one of the things that most attracted me to your brand and to what you're doing, um, you know, when I initially came into contact with your work was how powerfully you live in your values and how you show that in the work that you do on so many levels. Like you are so detail oriented and like I've gotten ideas just looking at your sales page. I haven't even done this yet, but I loved this idea of you reading your sales page, having like an audio there of you, you know, for different learners and, and different experiential ways of understanding the the material there. So I'm curious, like, how did you start to really lead from your values? What was the origin of that? We talked a little bit about that during the Cosmic Business Salon, but what allowed you to start being really clear about that? And how how has that been evolving for you? I do think I need to give a, um, what's it called? A, a hat tip to my, my human design of being a manifesto because the things like, um, doing an audio sales page or, um, someone recently sent me a really long, wonderful email saying how like, Oh my gosh, you're the only person I've ever seen who actually operates there. Um, cause I have a, um, a co-working offer, the co-working cove. And I choose the times that I know that I can sustain, but I also honor the fact that I've chosen dates to sync with certain parts of the moon cycle. And they're like, oh my gosh, no one does this. Like, <laughs> like how? How do you do this? And honestly, it's a matter of, well, to be honest with you, I, I think, well, why not? <laughs> like, I, I think for me, I'm just so open to experimentation and exploration. And I'm in a position where I get to explore that because it doesn't hurt anyone to have another option. And to be honest, I think that's all it is. It's just providing another option. I am not taking away the original option that most people used to, which is reading a sales page. I'm not taking that away. I'm just adding like, hey, but you prefer to listen. Here you go. Here's an audio version. <laughs> and yeah, it, again, it all happened just by happenstance. And it was more of being curious, I think that's all it is to be honest. Like, I'm curious, huh, how else can this be done? And I just go with it. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I know that like you take the values that you have very seriously and like addressing inequity and racism and things like that are, are things that you take really personally. So how, how did you get started in addressing those within your business? Like what was the spark? Oh, the spark was 100% the Black Lives Matter movement back in 2020. It made me aware of my own, my own unawareness, my own ignorance, my own obliviousness to matters that did affect me, but not as, I'm trying not to compare because it's apples and oranges here, but it didn't impact me to the depth that I saw in the Black Lives Matter movement. And then it made me call in and question everything. I, I questioned um, my, my own internalized racism, you know, and it was really, it is still very challenging. I'm not going to lie. And I sought out therapy. I also, this, this is also a huge spark with my certification with trauma sensitive leadership, because when I took it on, it was the whole curriculum was taught through a DEI lens, the diversity, equity, and inclusion lens. And I think that helped my awareness so much more. And it inspired me to look in my business and see how can I do things differently? And that is one of my core values, like doing things differently, not for the sake of it, but because of, you know, the the current status quo, me upholding it by only sticking to the traditional way of how things are done, it leaves behind so many people who need to kind of access me in a different way. And not just me, but everybody, right? And actually, when you do build in more equitable practices into your businesses, you actually benefit everybody by doing that. And so it really sparked off in 2020. It's an ongoing um, practice. And so when people ask, what, oh, what are your values? Like, yes, don't get me wrong. I do value equity and inclusion and diversity. Do not get me wrong. But it's one of those things where you want to be known for that without saying that you are. <laughs> it's kind of like, I don't want to say I'm an ethical entrepreneur, but I do want to be thought of as one. <laughs> you know, 
It's one of my hidden internal values that I don't plaster on my website. It's more of something that I want people to see this and experience it for themselves and just know that. I mean, it's show, don't tell, right? It's like classic, you know, that's classic writing theory, but like also actions speak louder than words. It's all those things that sound cliche, but they're really meaningful, you know, because we can say all day that we're for equity and inclusion, but then like, what are you actually doing? Exactly. Yeah. And, And there's so many blanket statements and performative actions, and I'm just not here for it. And like, of course, I, I do want to say like, I'm still learning. I am not, this is not perfect and it never will be perfect because it's impossible. It's about your willingness to keep practicing and willingness to be wrong and make reparation actions <laughs> in response to that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm, I've got your chart here and I told you beforehand <laughs> that I might like weave in some things. <laughs> sure. So warning, here we go. What I love about getting people's charts and hearing them talk a little bit is like, you know, seeing that you have this big, beautiful Venus in your 10th house with the moon. It's like the creative approaches to work and also having Jupiter aspecting onto that. There's like all this benefic, powerful, juicy, creative energy in your chart around work. But also there's like a an oddball quality, like you're not going to do it the way that everybody else does it. So we've heard you, you know, talking about that. And that's really clear. Also that you used to do like done for you copy. I'm like, there's always a Mercury thing going on and Mercury is your ruling planet. It's just really nice to see. And also our moons are like a couple degrees apart. So that makes sense for why we've connected like we have. So your, your moon is also in a Mercury placement. So this ability to like talk and communicate and communicate about your values, communicate about your perspective is like all over your chart. So, and also you're in your Saturn return, which you probably know. Saturn, well, I mean, I don't know if you you look at Western, but according to Vedic, you're in your Saturn return and Saturn just moved into Aquarius in January, which is the placement for visionaries and for like people seeing things completely differently and turning the tables. And so that like race stimulation, I'll be really curious to see what happens in your business over the next two and a half years. Cause I feel like you're on the cutting edge of something, May Kay, honestly. And like what's coming to fruition in this next time period is really going to be you showing that to the world and having them kind of catch up to you. So how does that feel? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, this is the first time I've had my chart read, actually. Um, oh, really? lens. Yeah. Ever. So oh, okay. yeah, ever. Like I've had a human design reading, but I actually haven't had, um, you know, the kind of reading that you just gave. So I'm just like <laughs> taking it all in. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, it makes sense. And like, it, it just, it fully, it still, to me, it fully aligns with my, my manifesto self. When, when you're at the edge of something and you're starting something, it can be so easy to doubt yourself because not everybody is on board yet or will ever be. And that's scary to be in. It's actually quite isolating sometimes when you're kind of leading in the dark, and you're not quite sure where you're going. <laughs> but to be honest, um, I think an antidote to that, um, the not knowing part, is that I invite people to be like, hey, come along. I don't know where I'm going, but let's just see what we find. <laughs> and um, it's also what sparked off um, my Quiet Rebels movement as well. So I started, and I, I think I trademarked that back in 2020 as well. Um, but to me, the reason why the, the words Quiet Rebel resonated so deeply with me is because we rebel not for the sake of it. And we don't rebel in a way that bulldozes the beliefs of other people. We are just quietly curious about what else could be done. And then we're just open to exploring that. And then that on top of my, my manifesto energy where you do th- see things differently. And I find myself having creative urges and I action them immediately without needing to get validation from other people. I think it's nice to have a confirmation when something's resonant, but it's my duty to inform people what I'm up to. And it's also why I create the way I do. And so when it comes to, we think back to business, right? So um, something that I've started to do as a call to action, instead of going directly to a resource, which I can, like a downloadable PDF and stuff, um, I invite people to subscribe to my, new- my newsletter. I call it Inside Insights. That's all about showing like what's happening behind the scenes pretty much as it's happening. I will write things when they're at their highest energetic potency because I don't believe personally, because it just doesn't seem to work for me anyway. Um, I don't tend to batch. I bank my ideas in a place and I just go back to see if it's resonant later on. 
but um, I write things in the moment and I release it in the moment. And so that's why I can't do the whole, I send a newsletter every Tuesday and I'm like, no, <laughs> I'll just send it whenever. <laughs> and um, because, but it's because I let people know ahead of time. I'm always setting expectations wherever I can, multiple places where I can. It's so that people aren't kind of taken aback by the suddenness of it. <laughs> it's just that, oh no, like make it give us a heads up like that she does this. It's fine. <laughs> she does this. Oh, what else is she doing right now? So, um, yeah, I find that the more that I've leaned into, because I think it is important to acknowledge you can over identify with your identities, right? Um, and ma my manifesto um, identity is something that I have been, uh, called in before about like over identifying with it. But to be honest, I'm like, okay, thanks for letting me know. I personally disagree. And it's because it's like some people, when they have a diagnosis for something or when they have learned something about themselves, that can be the thing that they've been searching for to help them articulate why they have always thought a certain way, why they've always felt a certain way. And for me, when I learned Elder Manifesto, that's what it was to me. It was true liberation. And um, I get that for some, it can also be a very deterministic thing. That is all that they can be now. But I personally don't think that way. But so for anybody who worries about over-identification uh, with their type or anything else, that's okay if people think that of you. But if it has helped you understand yourself, I don't, I don't see why that can be a bad thing. Yeah. I think it's important too, like when we talk about astrology, because a lot of people here are interested in Vedic astrology and maybe have a certain planetary activation and they're identifying with that, like, especially around Saturn, they may be thinking like, oh gosh, Saturn is causing this or that, but we can't really blame those things. We, we can use them as tools to empower us and help us move forward. Like now that I know this, now what, you know, that's, that's where I get curious. It's like, okay, now how do I remedy, use this as a tool in my business to kind of carve my business around this and use it as a tool for empowerment. So I appreciate you saying that. And also because you're a manifester, you know, and I encourage everyone to go out and, you know, see what your type is and see if that's informative for you. Because what it is, is you learn about, you know, what strategy you can use to sort of work in the world. And one of manifestor strategies is to inform. And like you said, I've been informing people what to expect because the manifestor energy is intense for a lot of people and it can repel. And I think this is really an interesting thing to ask you because a lot of people in my audience are pivoting or they're trying to, you know, shift to having, you know, less offerings, more high ticket offerings. And there's things that they're afraid to repel people from their audience. So maybe you can give us some advice about like how you deal with people leaving when they aren't resonant anymore. Like, how do you think about that? So I don't think it's purely a manifesto thing, although I, I, I agree like with the whole repelling energy because I can be really intense sometimes. <laughs> but I think this can just uh, go for everybody. Of course, a part of us is going to feel a sense of rejection when someone leaves because we, we make it about us, right? We make it like, oh, they don't like me anymore. They don't align with me anymore. They don't value what I have to offer anymore. You can think all those things and that could be true. But what could also be true for that person who has chosen to unsubscribe or ask for a refund or whatever it is, um, they have just been... They have come to a point in their lives where they've had to acknowledge that there is now a misalignment because you've spoken in your truth. And I personally don't want to hold on to anybody who is trying to rip themselves away from me. I'd rather be like, bless them and let them go. I'm like, okay, good for you. So when I see unsubscribes, I used to get upset. I won't lie because I've worked very hard, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to, you know, to, um, you know, invite new subscribers to my list. But I also have an incredible community that has stayed with me for years. I, I need to acknowledge that, how significant that is. So I have an extremely loyal community. I don't want to say following because I don't like that whole dynamic. <laughs> but um, I remember actually one of the best compliments I've ever received was when I was on a summit. And uh, there was kind of a backhanded compliment <laughs> in this compliment, but there's a backhanded element. But anyway, um, so I had actually one of the smallest lists on the, um, you know, from out of all the speakers, a lot of these speakers had like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands even. And I'm not even remotely close to that, just so you know. But <laughs> um, they had like hundreds or tens of thousands of people. And the summit host said to me, you're actually one of the top reg like 
one of the top um, speakers who um, you know brought in the most registrants. Yes, yeah, my actually had one of the highest conversion rates. And she was like, so even though that um, you actually had a smaller list in comparison to the other speakers, that just goes to show how loyal your community is. And I was like, I'll take that as a compliment. I'll just remove the backhanded part. <laughs> and so it just kind of like, it proves my point of quality over quantity. And so, yeah, back to your question, when it comes to any advice on letting them go, it's, it's okay to feel a rejection from it because it is, right? So let yourself be not okay with it for a moment and then come to the realization that they've made their choice to not occupy space that could be for someone else who's actually way more in alignment for you. Right. And sometimes people need to go away for a little while and come back. Like sometimes we trigger them in ways that they have to go grow before they're open to whatever it is that we're sharing. And that has to be okay too. We have to honor ourselves and and the business that we're building. And I always say like, you're not your business. You've got to do what's best for the business and also like in alignment with your intuition. So if your intuition is telling you to pivot, you got to pivot because the longer you wait, it's like you're holding back on your body's natural urges. You know, it's like similar to that. So definitely take care of yourself. And actually, there is something called transformative regression in psychology. And it's when you kind of revert back to the version of you that people remember you as. And it's, it's one of our mechanisms as humans to feel a sense of belonging, because that is like, it's a natural human need to, to want to belong in a group, right? Is, is why we seek community so much. And that can be very real if we are kind of saying the things that we think are going to be the things that our community wants right now, or they've always known us to be known for. And when you do that, you actually stifle your authentic voice. And then you actually become more and more misaligned with your business because you're being who they need you to be and then dishonoring yourself in the process. And so again, it's a very real reaction, by the way, um, feeling like you need to be a version of you that people remember because that's how they came to you in the first place. And if people were meant to stay with you into your next chapter, into your next season of your business, even if it's wildly different, they will choose to stay with you if they are to continue to be aligned with your change. But if they're not, then it's best to let them go because why would you want to serve someone who's holding themselves onto you because of how they remember you and not actually appreciating your new version? Yeah. And they'll be along for the ride if they're meant to be there for sure. I love that answer. Thank you. Um, so I could have spent a whole time here with you talking about podcast guesting. And I have to squeeze in a question about this because you are <laughs> known for this. Like, why do you think this is such a powerful way to get the word out? I personally love podcast guesting and having a podcast myself because I love talking and I love connecting with people. And so that's one of my favorite ways to, to, you know, get the word out about whatever I'm doing. But you've really mastered like a process for doing this in a safe way that feels good. So tell us like, just give us the case for why podcast guesting, like doing the work to pitch and to find those places to go. Like, why has that been such a great um, way to promote your work? Well, how it all started was actually uh, my mentors at the time, I had four of them and they all told me, you should guest on podcasts. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and, then, and then I went for it. They didn't really give me beyond, much guidance beyond telling me to do it. And I was like, okay, I'll figure it out for myself. And then I challenged myself to pitch to 101 podcasters in 30 days. And I say that as a cautionary tale now, it's not a tale of inspiration. <laughs> But what I can tell you is that because I've been in the trenches and I've done the work, my methodology has actually been co-created from the insights of industry leading podcasters. And to be honest with you, the thing that they really want is just for you to do your research and make sure that you're aligned with them. Because unfortunately, there are too many podcasters who receive pitches that are so off the mark that they don't even understand why this pitch was sent. Like side note, I have a, a mini series called, um, well, by mini, I mean like it's a seasonal series anyway, and it's called Pitches That Piss Off Podcasters. <laughs> and we actually break down the reason um, why we get pissed off when we receive certain pitches. And these are not from well-meaning pitches. It's kind of like the spray and pray approach. And honestly, all they care about is just like having someone who's done their research and they care about what they're sharing with the audience that's going to be in alignment for them and super valuable. That's all it is, right? But to answer your question, why is it so, um, why is it incredible? 
I consider it as a um, sustainable way to be visible because, um, and this is like one of many, like number one, it honors the fact that I'm an introvert. I love having one-on-one conversations and like I can't have too many conversations at a given time. But the beauty of this is, this is recorded in a one-on-one setting. But when it's published out there, it can be heard slash seen by goodness knows how many people. Right. And it lives forever on the internet. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was going to say, like, I just listened to a podcast the other day that was from January. Like, it doesn't go away. You know, people pass them around and continue to glean insights. So yes, exactly. So I consider it as a regenerative form of visibility that you kind of it's almost like a set and forget. Um, but I do think it's important to know that podcast guesting, the goal of it actually isn't about the interview. It's about the relationship you build with the host and the audience. And the thing is, I've heard so many people when, when they, when they've seen my story about my challenge, they're like, Oh, I'm going to be, on, I'm going to be on a hundred podcasts this year. And then the first thing I think of, and I actually ask some of them, depending on how close I am to them, I say, okay. So will you slash and your team be doing your part to promote all of these episodes? And then they have this guilty look on their face. They're like, um, and a part of me is like, um, like, well, if you're doing it just for your ego and you're missing out on your responsibility as a guest to not ghost the host and actually do your part in promoting, then you're really missing the point. And so that's why it really jars me when um, folks only focus on how how many podcasts that they can claim they've been on. Right. And like, I, I, like, I won't lie. Like I do have, I, I, I personally have that claim myself. I've been on at the end of this week, I would have been on over 80 podcasts, but I significantly reduce the amount of podcasts that I um, pitch myself to, or that I say yes to when I receive an invitation, because I want to make sure that I have the capacity to do the prep properly, to do the interview the best I can, and to do my part with promoting. And because and because I can't do that for a hundred people in a year, or I or I simply don't have the energy to, I don't have have access to resources or support to do that. And I don't want to overwhelm my audience as well. You know? So like that's why I personally picked I've picked my pace that I can sustain. Um but yeah, all all this to say it honors all of the ways that I love communicating. I'm a natural verbal processor and I love one-on-one conversations that are super deep. And I love that this gets to live on the internet and be a regenerative form of lead generation, of connection, of nurturing. And you can also leverage your podcast interviews to pitch to other podcasts, especially if it's someone in the same network. Um, you can also, it's also an association with an, a different authority figure. So when you are seen like next to someone and other people in their network are curious about what you work with. Oh, since you've been on um, this podcast, I wonder, you know, it just kind of like shortens the, the pathway really. If you, it's like you have like, what was it that like one degree or something? Um, um, yeah, you, you can naturally like speed up, <laughs> you know, certain processes that can take you otherwise a very long time. And it's because of the trust you've built by really being open with your processes on a podcast interview. So good. So I have a few rapid fires for you if you're open to it. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, So the first one is what is one piece of advice that has really helped you in your life? Okay, I have to uh, (laughs) uh, credit my brother-in-law. When it comes to people talking about you, I used to care so much about when people would talk about me and I would do whatever I could to prevent them talking about me in a bad way. And and he simply said to me, Megay, people will always talk. So you might as well focus on things that you care about because there's nothing you can do to like change the fact that people will just talk about you anyway, good or bad. And that gave me a huge <laughs> sense of peace because I thought, yeah, why am I focusing all of my energy trying to get people to like me or love me when they're doing this anyway? So it just, it helped me reallocate my focus on the things that I can do to bring more joy to and love to myself and to other people who do care about me and who I care about as mm-hmm. well. So that was just like a huge antidote from my teenagers. <laughs> um, so do you have a morning routine and what part is non-negotiable aside from waking up? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, I do have to say I'm a total night owl. So sometimes I wake up past noon, just so you know. <laughs> and so my non-negotiable regardless, is that the first hour or two 
of my day is not in response to anybody. It's purely being instead of doing. And I find that really fuels me up when I know that I've taken care of myself. And so I can take even better care of the people that I'm due to take care of that day. And when I say taking care, I, you know, obviously that means something different. Um, like it's like, if it's for my family, it is probably like cooking or something. But if it's for my clients, then of course it's about optimal presence and, you know, holding that space for them to do strategic thinking and brainstorming or just for them to verbally process with me, to connect purposely with peers and to just be, again, struggling present, being connected. So my part, my morning routine or afternoon routine <laughs> is like starting <laughs> off my day with, with being. That's what it is. What are you reading right now? Or is there a book that you would recommend, like a very beloved book that you would recommend? Oof. Oh, beloved book. Oh, that's... <laughs> All right. So um, I, I'll, I'll, can, can I share two? Yeah, okay? Definitely. All right. So a beloved book is called The Five Secrets You Must Discover Before You Die. Oh, yeah. what's that about? It's exactly that. The Five Secrets You Must Discover Before You Die. <laughs> and to be honest, when um, it's a research-based book um, about this researcher who went around asking people, like, who is the most happiest person you know? Who's the most significant person in your life and why have you recommended them? And then he would go and interview them and ask them about their life. And he distilled all of these answers. I think he interviewed hundreds, if not thousands of people. And um, he distilled them into five secrets you must discover before you die. And it's very much about living a very fulfilled life. So, and I love that so much because it reminds you of what's important and how we can get so caught up in our day-to-day -day lives and the daily minutia. And we often forget to take a step back to see the bigger picture of what really matters. Mm, I love that. I'm going to get that book. Was there a so, second one? <laughs> yes, the second one. So this is one I'm reading right now. And this really does relate to um, the questions that you had earlier about how I've kind of baked my values into my work, especially around in inclusivity, equity, and inclusion, but without saying it out loud, <laughs> like, like what I value. So it's called Read This to Get Smarter about race, class, gender, disability, and more. It's by Blair Imani. I love her. She's like my favorite creator on Instagram. I love her right? stuff. Her Smarter in Seconds series. Yeah. Oh, so good. So, so good. But it's all of the things that because like these topics about navigating conversations about race, class, gender, etc. They are incredibly nuanced. And there's a lot of fear about getting it wrong. Like I, I have that fear every now and then. And to be honest, quite ongoing. <laughs> like I have that fear about getting it wrong. But at the same time, because I've committed myself to the practice and reading this book has really distilled it down so clearly, so succinctly, and in a way that is it's written from a place of such compassion. And that's what I love. And that's, this is one of my values that's on my website. One of them is doing things differently. And um, second is compassionate change making. That is all about inviting change from a place of understanding and willingness to unlearn, willingness to learn versus going straight to council culture. Because mm -hmm. in my opinion, I don't think true change comes from a place of shaming someone. Yeah, that feels really old paradigm to me. It's like, let's take our old harsh ways of doing things and just do it in a new context, you know? Yes, exactly. And um, so I highly recommend getting this book. Um, if this is a topic that you're that you'd like to be more well versed about and be able to have and hold conversations around it, because yeah, when I read it, I just feel so reassured. And it's so insightful as well, like, you know, the origin, because what I love about Blair is that she's also a historian. So she would be able to bring up, you know, which particular movements, which particular dates have led to um, the normalization of certain laws or certain um, ways of talking about this or that topic. And it's just it. amazing. So well researched. I will definitely get that book and we'll put the names and the links in the show notes for people. Great. So how can people connect with you online and find out more about your work? Yeah. So you can check out my website, makeasang.com. And I'm sure like all of the links will, because yeah. my name is not exactly easy to remember how to spell. <laughs> Yeah, we'll so, have it all linked. Yeah, so you can check out. Um, oh, but my, by the way, my third value is professional playfulness. And the reason why I feel it's important to bring that up is because on the homepage of my website, if you're so interested, there is a digital Easter egg hunt. <laughs> <laughs> and I absolutely love it. It was one of my favorite things when I launched uh, this particular website. So you can find that on my website and also the offerings that I have. And um, you can find me on Instagram at Sang and also LinkedIn at Sang. I'm a bit more quieter on LinkedIn because I'm still trying to find my feet there. <laughs> 
And if you're so interested um, to learning more about the behind the scenes of how I really practice sustainable visibility practices, it's just like navigating leadership in real time and pop-up offers, pop-up events, all that kind of stuff. You can head to subscribe to my email list, which is Inside Insights, megaswing.com forward slash Inside Insights. And you'll also be the only people who get to have the booking link to my cup of catch-ups that get sent out at, at random each month. <laughs> so. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Mekay. It's been wonderful talking to you and I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much for your insightful questions as well. I think it's the first podcast I've ever been on where I've gone really deep into my human design and things. So this is really cool. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cosmic Business Podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review for us so other spirit-led entrepreneurs can find out about us. I want to thank Team Podcast for production support on this podcast, as well as the musicians of the music that we're listening to now, Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantu Ledesma from an album Fragments of a Season, which you can check out wherever you listen to music. I hope you have a wonderful day and I look forward to connecting with you on a future episode.